All right, all right, all right. You're missing the point. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? Why don't we just send up 150 nuclear warheads and blast that rock apart? The last thing I need is another trigger-happy moron out here. Time's a luxury we don't have. Let's meet up. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. Welcome to episode 35 of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, I'm joined by two fellow Australians to discuss the most divisive and polarizing issue in Australian history. This year, people all across our country will be voting on a referendum to change the Australian constitution to recognize First Nations peoples through a voice to parliament. Is this a simple matter of recognizing our Indigenous Australians' 60,000-year-long history, or is there something bigger and far more deceptive happening behind the scenes? That's why we're here today, to unpack and share our own perspectives and views on this historic event. Let us welcome fellow Aussie content creator, Stella from Union of the Unknowns podcast, and returning guest, my mate, the tropical Canadian himself, Wade. Stella, Wade, welcome. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the invite. Hey, Wade. Hey, Stella. Nice to meet you, mate. Tropical Canadian, Drew. What the hell, mate? You get different every week. It's a good one because, you know, you're just up north, so you're a Canadian. And we'd be, uh, we'd be cold Mexicans down here, I guess. True, I'd mate, be right. somewhere right about Washington. <laughs> you <laughs> would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's the three of us. Now, it's pretty important to point out that, not that I know, or that really you should assume these days, but I know I don't have any Indigenous, indigenous ancestry at all. And I dare say that the both of you don't. So we're coming this at this from a perspective of white fellas uh, and talking about something that, like I said, is pretty divisive and can cause a few issues amongst people in our day and age. But it's worth the conversation anyway, because if you don't have these conversations, things boil away and fester. And that's when you really do start to see true racism and real bigotry. So if we can snuff it all out by having real honest conversations now, we can avoid the heartache later on. Well said. Yep. As we have to understand what it is we're talking about, and um, I hope to learn quite a bit more today. Awesome. So for the American listeners and other people overseas who seem to listen to my podcast for some strange reason, which I still don't understand quite yet, uh, just Australia's in a really unique position where Australia never officially, through either the British colonisation and their failures in governance or our own governments, never officially signed a treaty with our First Nations peoples. So unlike South Africa, New Zealand, Canada, and and United States, our First Nations people never had that treaty written, kind of peace treaty or a, a barter broken between two parties to carve up land, decide on rules or anything like that. So unfortunately, Australia's been in this grey area for quite some time now. And we're talking today about a particular group of Australians, our First Nations people, which take up a very small percentage of Australians. Now, we do know that 
Indigenous people weren't treated the best by British colonists and the things that happened with colonisation. It's just the history of how things happen in the world. And with the good things, there are also the bad and terrible things that happen. So I don't think anyone dismisses the atrocities that have happened in the past. But it's a really interesting point that this voice seems to be going backwards in a lot of regards. Because our First Nations people in Australia, despite being, air quotes, First Nations, they're actually recognised under the Australian Constitution already. All Indigenous Australians are Australian citizens. It's not like in America where if a Native person, an Indian, whatever terminology you want to use, if they decide to live on a reservation, they are not a part of the American um, citizenship, so they don't actively opt into that system. doesn't work that way in Australia. So... For the longest time since we became our own independent country in 1901, we got our independence from the British, Indigenous Australians have always been recognised under our constitution as Australian citizens. There's a bit of a, a myth going around that Indigenous people were considered under the Flora and Fauna Act. This has been pushed for the longest time in Australian curriculum. It's complete bullshit. It's not true. They weren't considered flora and fauna. Um, it was simply that Indigenous people were giving the recognition to vote as Australian citizens. So there always were Australian citizens, but at one point they were never allowed to vote. Hence why we had the, the big movement around equal representation and the civil rights movement within Australia, which has been a great thing that our Indigenous people have been able to vote. But today is all about how we have this backwards view that we need to have Indigenous people recognising our constitution simply based on their race. And I think from the outside looking in for a lot of international listeners or even a lot of Australians, it seems like a good way to mend bridges and to get the ball rolling for true reconciliation. But just in my mind, differentiating an entire group of Australians by race in a document so important as our constitution, it seems quite backwards, almost like akin to a apartheid South Africa. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, I think it's sort of we're missing the obvious here is that if it was such a great thing for Indigenous, then why are so many Indigenous people not for this? Um, they're the voices we really should be listening to um, to get a balanced view um, aside from the propaganda that's being pushed from the mainstream as always. Absolutely, Stella. It's a, a case of, and I've always asked this since the first time they announced this voice was going to go to a referendum vote. Why are white fellas, predominantly the majority of Australians are Europeans, um, why are we asking white fellas to make such an important decision for the people that they're trying to represent? If it was truly about Indigenous voice, shouldn't the referendum only go to people who identify as Indigenous Australians to see if they actually want this? because there's a, probably a quite a high case that they don't want it themselves. And if the case is that they do want to have a voice in, in our constitution, maybe you find out from them first and then put it to the entirety of the Australian population. It just seems asked backwards that you're not actually consulting the people you're trying to give a voice to. Mm, that's a really good point. That is a good point, mate. And you can, you can use that across a, a wide array of, of different scenarios, um, you know, most recently, you know, COVID, people didn't want to um, acknowledge the doctors that had information details against it. So, you know, you look at um, Senator Price and Senator Mundine, 
what makes them so adamantly against it? That's a question I would think should be asked and put up for people to see, okay, why are you so against it? Yeah, and for the listeners that don't know, Wade just mentioned two senators within Australia, quite a few prominent politicians in Australian politics who are Indigenous, they're Aboriginal Australians, and they're actively against the voice to parliament. Not to say that there aren't politicians who are Aboriginal who who are for it, but there's a, a concerning error that there's a lot of Indigenous Australians who are against this voice, and this voice isn't really getting the publicity that it really should be. If it's about true representation and hearing our First Nations people, we're not hearing that vigorous debate of why some Aboriginals want it and some don't. And that's what Stella alluded to earlier. Yeah, um, well, Mr Mundine himself said that a national voice cannot speak for country. And uh, I think Drew and I were talking about this earlier or yesterday, um, that how how can one set of rules or one thing cover um, people from such a vast variety of socio um, situations, you know, like you've got, you've got the indigenous who are in the cities and um, living that sort of lifestyle. And then you've got the, the full, you know, indigenous communities that are still holding their traditional dances. And I mean, they're chalk and cheese really. So yeah, I just wonder about that. Um, Senator uh, Jacinta Price also said that what they need in Canberra is ears, not a voice. And I think that's really well summed up. It's um, it's quite concerning that a government could be so profound in its own hubris thinking that they can represent 900 different individual First Nations groups at the one table. It's near impossible to get 20 voices at a table, let alone 900 individual countries. So this is the issue that we run into where there's no legitimate legal treaties in place prior to all of this, because if there was something like that in the past, a lot of this legal loopholes and grey areas, that would have been ruled out a long time ago. And now there's seems to be like a power grab and a, a scrambling happening to see who can get the most power at the table of, of this representative body, which they seem to put it. Yeah, um, I came across... Uh a pamphlet that you can actually have a look at and download from the Australian Electoral Commission AEC.gov.au forward slash referendums forward slash pamphlet dot htm. Um, you can have a look at this. This pamphlet is going to be um, printed and distributed at the cost of $10 million prior to the, um, <laughs> the referendum, if that does go ahead, which we assume it will. Um, and there's... It's basically, it's the case for voting yes and the case for voting no. So it's supposedly meant to be this neutral thing that presents both cases. So I would I would recommend going and having a look at that for anybody who's willing to look past the terrible design, the really hard to read, tiny, thin font um, and the absolute boring layout. <laughs> I think it's been designed that way so that people just go too hard, man. Because um, really, that is what it looks like. And on top of that, just let me say that it was very unnecessary to have dark backgrounds and things that have to be printed out. And it's very unecological and very <laughs> unenvironmental. So there's that. But um, either way, it does represent um, the cases for both sides, and uh, it it does have a lot of information. And I really, really recommend that people do read both sides. Um, 
because the no side is it's essential to understand that it's absolutely essential because the biggest thing about this is if it does go through it cannot be undone it can never be undone so it's just a little bit ambiguous what is being presented for going forward with the voice and unless things are really really detailed and really pinned down as to what exactly can happen um well, as it says here on the on the pamphlet, if you don't know, vote no. Yeah, so. I don't think anyone seems to know the fine details on this. Wade, I'd like to get your, your thoughts on this, but our own Prime Minister in Australia, Anthony Albanese, had this wonderful big press conference in which he cried in front of the nation trying to make himself look humane and, and having a, a compassionate <laughs> heart to the rest of Australia. But he put it down as a modest and gracious request of all Australians that we recognise Indigenous peoples in our constitution. It would mend old wounds and ensure that Indigenous Australians have an active say in the decisions about their future. You know what? That sounds fantastic on its face. But when there's no active details of the, of the scope and power of this voice to parliament, you really have to ask what you're voting on. If it was a case of, here's what the voice will do, Here's the powers they have, the legal authority. That would give us something to actually make a decision on. At the moment, it's very up in the air, Wade. What do you make of that? Well, mate, you're exactly right. It's, you know, the age-old saying is the devil is in the detail. It's pretty hard to find the devil in the detail if there is no detail written. Um, <laughs> you know, he's old elbow fud has used <laughs> so much emotive language and you know, emotion built in his thing, he's he's preying on people's heartstrings as opposed to, you know, logic and reason. And, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sell you something, Drew, you're gonna want to know what it is. You know, I'll I'll sell you this box, mate, for a thousand dollars. Well your first question is, what's in the box? Not, oh okay, yeah, I'll buy it and then we'll work it out later. But no mate, I'd like my thousand dollars. And I'll give it to you, but I need to know what's in the box. And at this moment, he's hiding it from this box is going to save you all. It's it's what needs to be done for this country. Okay, well, what's in the box? I'll oh, worry about that later. Well, hang on, mate. You know, you need to give some sort of detail to people to make an educated decision. And that's that's being hindered from people. And when you ask about it, you get called a racist. You get, you know, oh, you're trying to hold people back. Well, no, if I'm going to buy something, and essentially that's what we're doing, if I'm going to buy something, I need to know what it is I'm buying. It's the, yeah, essen- yeah. sorry, Sal, it's the essential um, gaslighting. Anytime it's any kind of conversation, if it's something that's centred on emotion and such a high-strung issue like this, if you gaslight the opposition, you can control the narrative. And I think this has kind of shot them in the foot in the regards to the yes side of things. This whole debate has been happening since the start of the year. So what, well, six months in now, or seven months in rather? And the the polling, if you were to believe it and think it's accurate, has been going down drastically. At the start, it was over 50% of the Australian population said it was a good thing. They probably looked at it on its face value and said, shit, yeah, why not? You know, Aboriginal Australians have had a hard trot in their time under colonialism and Australian history. Why shouldn't we recognise them and, and hear their voice? Then as that lack of detail was there, mm-hmm. not seen and we saw the emotive 
heartstring pulls that we see out of the BS campaign and the inability to answer really basic, simple questions within the media. I think people are starting to cotton on. I think the latest poll had, it was 51% were voting no for the majority of Australia and it was 41% voting yes with uh, the percentage in between undecided. It's quite interesting to note that only states left in Australia under recent polls that are voting yes as a majority are Tasmania and Victoria, which ironically don't have the largest in traditional Indigenous populations left. The populations we have of Indigenous Australians are survived through generations of people who now have mixed ancestry. So they've got white fellas in their bloodlines. Their parents are either Irish or Scotch, something along the lines. They're, they're the average Australian anyway. These are the types of people that you often hear to refer to as city Aboriginals or Canberra Aboriginals, where they're so disconnected from their own history that they're, they're romanticising what they think it means to be Aboriginal and, and makes them an easy target for Marxist ideology and and thought, in my opinion, that's where I come from on that. Yeah, well, um, when Albo was standing up there crying those crocodile tears, because I really didn't see an actual tear <laughs> roll down his face, um, that is uh, appealing to heartstring, pulling the heartstrings and appealing to emotions is the always the underlying um, tactic of propaganda. Um, it is how you get to people, you get past that front and you get right into the bone, you know what I mean? Um, so that's always what they do. And I, I think the box that Wade was referring to, I, I, I call it Pandora's box, really, because that's <laughs> what it is. You can't get you can't get those demons out once they're out. Um, and you know, people need to understand that questioning this stuff is not. See, it's been it's been worded in such a way that uh, it's called guilt politics. It's been worded in such a way that people feel like if they go no, it means that they don't care about the Indigenous voices or the Indigenous um, situation. But that's not the case at all. Um, But this is how it's been very cleverly moulded and morphed to appeal to people's, yeah, their their guilt. (laughs) It's exactly what they're doing. And it's unashamedly too, Stella, that the the Yes campaign's been pretty open about saying, if you disagree with the voice, you are a racist, you're a bigot. And you don't care about Indigenous Australians where it's simply not the case. There's, if you've got Indigenous Australians that are going to vote no, are they racist and bigoted towards their own people? How does that work? It's a double negative. It's just blackmail, basically. Emotional blackmail. It's funny because that press conference that we all refer to, and nearly every Australian has seen it. And Stella, I'm with you. I didn't see a tear. Yet in recent weeks, there's video come out showing the lead up to that setup, he's literally walking behind the podium with a bottle of water, having a drink, laughing, making jokes, slapping people on the back, having a great time. And within two seconds, three or five seconds, he walks to the podium and the lip quivers, the eyes ride. It's like, oh, mate, you you should be on home and away, champ. <laughs> it, it, yeah, was such, I... it was such an act. I don't think he's even good enough for that. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and they've always got their yes men, yes people, yes thems, whatever they are, standing behind, doing the head nod, you know, and, of course, in this case, the Indigenous, you know, the, the big take up the full screen sort of type ones. Um, 
and uh, yeah, so it's all just like the visual propaganda as well as the, you know, what's being said that gets into people's bones. Now, they didn't seem to vet these yes men that were standing behind Albanese too well, did they? There's a, yes, we've got uh, a certain oh, yeah. man named Mayo, which isn't his real name. He's right. actually changed his legal name to sound more Indigenous. Mm-hmm. Is a gentleman who, through research, you find out is of Filipino and Polish-Jewish ancestry. Now, it's very questionable whether there's actually any Torres Strait Islander ancestry in his family line. Which would be a bit concerning because if you've got someone who's LARPing as an Indigenous Australian, that's a big issue. Um, Not to mention this person's views around what the voice in his mind is supposed to do, but the connections this young man has. This young man has, has connections with the ACP, the Australian Communist Party, which ironically, Anthony Albanese was a part of during university in his formative years in the Labor government. Yep. So we're seeing a lot of these Marxist uh, World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. big picture, three-letter agency type of connections with this push. And for a push that's going to change our constitution, like you said, Sal, something that cannot be taken out once it's put in, those are massive concerns. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but I have noticed Jessica Malboy is getting in on it and everything. She's doing the, the push. And um, guess where she's uh, associated with? If you go to the World Economic Forum site, yeah. you'll see the uh, Young Global Leader. Yeah, Young Global Leader. Yeah. Spot well, on. I'm, She's one I'm, of them. I'm about to rip one of my favourite footballers, and I was waiting for this to come up. Um, Stella, you might know being a, a New South Welshman and rugby territory, but Jonathan Thurston, it's a proud Indigenous man from Queensland, has Order of Australia medal, you know, one of my favourite footballers. Um He's now coming out, you know, it'll be a great way to um, give our future kids a chance to do this, a chance to do that for this and that. And I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, mate, I'm going to send you so many things that are going to ruin your viewpoint to people because the questions you won't be able to answer. And it's, okay, what's the $30 billion a year? doing now if your kids and the young indigenous kids are not getting a chance why are you not asking what has been done for the last 20 30 years I'm probably jumping ahead there but I'm sports people celebrities yeah i was only just um looking that up in fact i did run his name into the world economic forum site just to see um nothing came up but i was i like I only did that a few minutes before we went went on, so I didn't do a really good search. But um, yeah, exactly what you're saying. They're engaging um, prominent Indigenous Australian voices within their campaign. This is the Yes campaign, including what you said, um, sports legends Jonathan Thurston, whom I hadn't heard of because I'm not a sporty person, but um, Eddie Betts. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. who that is. Um, yep. Yvonne Goolagong Corley. Now we all must know her. She's a legend, a tennis legend from way back. Uh, and filmmaker Rachel Perkins. So they're basically cre- um, bringing all these really popular celebrity type people for the for the yes campaign. Um, and for the no campaign, we've basically got the legal experts. <laughs> sort of like, the people in the no. <laughs> they're really boring, but um, they're probably the, you know, they're the ones that we need to listen to, like High Court Judge Ian Callanan, Federal Court Judge David Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, people will just go tune out. So, because the sporty people and the celebrities, they're much more fun to, to listen to and watch, aren't they? 
they're very flashy. They're, they're draw, it's a draw card, especially for the indigenous vote. I think that's why they really targeted the useful idiots that are our sports stars and our our um, celebrities that are indigenous, because a lot of the time that's the only people that rural indigenous Australians see succeeding are the people who are playing footy, playing rugby, or who are in some kind of a television or a movie field. Uh, field. They're the ones that are the draw card for the apprehensive um, no voters within the Indigenous community. I think they're trying to trick them in that regard. But something Wade was alluding to was really interesting. The voice is also being prompted by, we're failing Indigenous Australians and we continue to fail them as a nation. There's a little uh, initiative which the Australian government calls Closing the Gap. This has been a multi-generational cause that both Liberal and Labor, both sides of our politics, have been trying to close. Essentially, for our international listeners, our First Nations people have lower life outcomes in regards to health. They don't live as long as Western, uh, Westernised Australians. The education outcomes are lower. Pretty much everything across the board is at a lower rate than what your average Anglo-Australian is. And trying to do the right thing, again, pulling at heartstrings, we're trying to improve the outcomes for our First Nations people. Who wouldn't? You want the best for our community and for our people. So as of the... I'll just double check it. According to the 2012 Indigenous Expenditure Report, it was estimated that $25.4 billion was spent on it in that year. Jump forward to 2018, it was $130 billion. The numbers just keep going up each year. We keep spending more and more money on it, but the outcomes continually get worse. So the question shouldn't be, do Indigenous Australians have enough voice in how to spend this money? Or should a royal commission be put into where the hell is this fucking money going to? Absolutely. I'd bloody want to know. Um, I, I also want to know if these people that are being um, used in the campaign, is that a voluntary voluntary thing or are they being paid paid like crap loads? <laughs> I, would, I think I probably know the answer to that. Well, the, the Yes campaign is actively paying up to $15,000 to community groups to promote the vote, the Yes vote. Yeah, I mean the people like the Jonathan Thurston's and the Yvonne Goolagong type. Of yeah, so if you're offering no, random community groups, kick, they're probably getting kickbacks more so than cash because that yeah. would actually be illegal. <laughs> yeah, they probably. <laughs> let's not speculate because that <laughs> could get us in trouble. Uh, yeah, um, I, I was just going to say too uh, when you were talking about the Andrew Bolt. I'm uh, sorry, when you were talking about the um, the heritage, like nobody really sort of questions. Well, Andrew Bolt this morning was talking about how many, um, how much fraud actually does go on because nobody checks the heritage of like indigenous people who are claiming money from the government what have you um because if you check you know, we're racist don't you so um he was saying like in some incredible amount of money is going out to people who just they don't even have indigenous in their blood at all like whole communities of you know hundreds of people um all claiming this money so I guess that's where some of the money's going because that's an incredibly huge amount of money, isn't it? It is. What, 100 and what? 10, 130 billion or something? Yeah. Yeah, 130 billion as of 2018. It's been going up each year since right. its inception. So, how come we've still got starving communities and communities full of violence and all that stuff? E- exactly right. Clearly, the money is being obfuscated and used. Now, this is mm-hmm. speculation, of course. It is not going to where it needs to be on the boots on the ground in the communities. You're alluding to. Um, people faking their ancestry to gain benefits. We know this exists in our communities. In Australia, we used to have a system where you had to meet a certain percentage rate to be considered an Indigenous Australian. 
that was that's been removed in recent years, in the past 10, 20 years. Yep. To the point where the only three requirements legally are you are self-identify as an Indigenous Australian, you have been accepted by a local mob or clan, uh, and there's one more which I can't quite re- um, recall, but it's those two major ones. If you get those two ticked off, you're sitting pretty. So mm. we've got a case of, and I know because I'm a teacher, there's families that you know have no Indigenous ancestry at all, and they all note down their kids as being an Australian, an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander so they can get the benefits that go along with it, like the closing the gap stuff around medical type of areas. So you get your kids into assessments a lot quicker than everyone else so that they get um, all these types of assessments done um, cognitively, medical assessments, paediatricians, all that type of thing. Once that box is ticked, you cannot untick it. I've heard horror stories of families who are now being hounded by the department wanting to constantly check in on their children's well-being. They feel like they're being harassed by the government over it. And they openly say, hey, we're not Indigenous in any way. We did that to try and get get ahead, get some benefits. And the government turns around and says, sorry, you've already ticked the box. You can't undo it. Well, there we go. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I see, I know there's, and I don't want to sound racist at all here, but I notice there are some housing commissions around, um, I mean, they're spread everywhere, right? Which, I mean, it's, that's great. That's awesome that people are being provided for a home, et cetera. That's awesome. But um, I also notice that they have really nice cars, you know, usually two or three, <laughs> um, sort of nice setup, you know. Um, so I, in that sense, there's a lot of people who are, I mean, these people are obviously Indigenous. There's no way you could, they could not be. Um, so that's fantastic. They're all being, not all, I guess, but they seem to be well looked after at this point. Um, I'm not really sure how much further we need to go in this because having a voice in Parliament, it does, it even, it's so ambiguous. It doesn't really say anything apart from um, the Indigenous population will have a formalised body to deliver advice in regards to matters relating to Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. It's, it is ambiguous. It's like, well, which, what bits, what matters, which matters are you talking about? You know, um, there's going to be probably matters under the disguise of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people benefiting, but they're not. (laughs) So that's what's going to happen, isn't it? It just gives the government power to create laws. Basically, that's what this is about. And then they'll shove the Indigenous aside. Absolutely. Um, this actually brings me to a little subclause of the proposed alteration of the constitution that I've shared with both of you. Uh, chapter IX, recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. If you go down to uh, subsection three, the parliament shall subject in this constitution have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers, and procedures. They literally get to decide what they can and cannot do with that body. If that means, and this is a bit of heavy speculation, if the government wants to remove an entire town because that town is sitting on, say, an oil deposit or some coal or some lithium, something they managed to find, they could use the legal backdoor of this is Indigenous land and we're taking it back for Indigenous peoples at the same time as playing the Native Title Land Act, which we know the government actually has operation over. So they could say, this is Indigenous land, have it taken away, remove people from their land. 
and then take the minerals that they want for from it from the Native Title Land Act. They've got all these back doors already in the system to do this. This would just give them illegal grounds to remove Australians from their own land. I think this is what links back to the Rosa Corey Agenda 21, 2030 stuff that a lot of people in our community started to wake up to uh, five, six years ago. What do you reckon, Wade? Yeah, I, w- I would agree there. It's it's so... It's been built on, as we said, the emotion of it to let's get it through. Once it's through, we can do whatever we want. But the detail and the fine print that that people like us find because we do the digging is you take a look at it and you go, fuck, realise that do you understand what this does for people when you're having a conversation? You go, do you understand what this means? And because they haven't done the, the digging or the reading or had a conversation about it, they don't understand that that is actually written in it. And when when they do see that, oh, they wouldn't do that. I'm like, what do you mean they wouldn't do that? Name me one thing a government has ever done that is good for everyone as a whole. And you think they wouldn't do that? Come on, guys. They, they're putting it in for a reason. That reason is giving them the ability to do it later. Not necessarily that they will, but history tells a very different tale of that. And when you put it in there, it's giving you the ability to do something later. Yep. That is dangerous. Point. Yep. And it says here on the um, that pamphlet that I was just talking about, uh, there's, it sort of it basically says ten reasons to vote no, and um, number two, it says there are no details. This is a big decision. However, the government won't reveal key details before the vote. We don't know how it will help at disadvantaged communities and close the gap. We don't know how many members this voice would have. We don't know if they would be elected or chosen, or how this would occur. We don't know how it would make representations or be held accountable, and it goes on and on. But there's 10 really good reasons to consider what you vote there. I mean, I can read them out later if you like, but um, I mean, basically it's, it's risky, it's unknown, it's divisive and it's permanent. So it's a lot of gray area that's there. And I'm going to read out a 11 point agenda that is completely speculation at this point. I'll, I'll admit that, but this is a document that was actually found in a cafe in Canberra. So a cafe owner who was making cappuccinos all day for the politicians in Canberra, which is our version of Washington, D.C. It's a cesspool. That's where all the politicians hang out. They went in for their coffees. They were sitting down, doing their little powwow. They left behind a document. And this cafe owner picked it up and gave it a bit of a skim read and went, oh, shit, this is actually a, this is pretty dangerous. I think the world needs to see this. And he leaked it online. So point one says that the point of the voice is to one, job quotas, a minimum of 10% appointments to be First Nations people with judges, magistrates, the SES, ADF officers, AFP, state police forces, corrections departments, vice chancellors, and ambassadors. Two, universities, no entry tests, no fees for First Nations peoples. Three, old age pension, reduced age eligibility for First Nations people because we die younger, which is true. We know they have a younger lifespan. I can understand that one. Four, public housing. First Nations people have the first preference to all vacant public housing across the states. Five, sport and music. 
Entry fees reduced by 50% for First Nations people for any event on public land. Six, beaches and national parks. All beaches and national parks to, the pro- to be property of the relevant tribes and First Nations peoples to be charged to use the beaches, parks, etc. revenues to go to relevant First Nations. So essentially charging all non-Indigenous people to go on these places. Seven, rivers and streams. To become property of relevant tribe and First Nations, fees for water consumption paid to relevant tribes. Eight, mining royalties. Same as for water. Nine, income tax. For First Nations people, to be 50% of the normal rate of other Australians. Ten, liquor licensing. All new liquor licenses across Australia to be vetted by The Voice. Eleven, voice office. Research policy staff analyse and review all proposed government policies, legislation and appointments the same size and pay as a DPMC. Well, I'm sure that Stan Grant, who has gradually become blacker and blacker over the years, will be very happy that he'll only be paying 50% tax. I mean, I'm just looking at this as a very unequal thing, isn't it? There's there's plenty of very successful Aboriginals out there, you know, making reasonably good money. So why is it all about race? Why can't it be on the, the sliding scale, you know? I mean, there's plenty of poor poor white people who need a bit of a hand too so yeah it's just divisive it's everything's race-based it's it's they're trying to tell us that they're fixing the problem but they're creating it they're just deepening the problem and they know what they're doing you're right and herein lies the problem this if it's done the right way by the people who i think are really manipulating this and putting this up that's their whole plan to cause more division and more hostility between Australians so that we're divided and against each other instead of noticing the real problems that are facing us. Like you said, Stella, a lot of those, uh, it's clear favoritism to one specific specific racial group. That in itself will cause racial tension, especially for those non-Indigenous Australians who are living in their cars, can barely feed their children. Those people will resort to anger very quickly when their bellies are empty. And if they see a certain demographic that only makes up a small percentage of the population getting that, we're going to see real racial tensions that we haven't seen in this country for a very long time. Spot on. Spot on. Yep. When you when you pit two groups of people together uh, against each other, sorry, and remove race altogether from it, when you pit two groups of people against each other and you have uh, an authoritarian you know, hierarchy that's, giving more to one against the other and the other starts to become hungry and their kids are hungry and they're living on the street, violence becomes a last resort. And that's not a, that's not a good place to be. It really isn't. Not at all. Now there's a few points in there, Wade, which as a Queenslander, we're starting to see some of those things actually tiptoe in, in your state, particularly around, uh, beaches, landmarks, Fraser Island, for example, has recently just been renamed. It's a whole heap of cities and towns that are being renamed in your state and a lot of stuff going on with potential impacts on mining. So what do you see happening in your part of the world? Mate, it's, it's very funny because Fraser Island is, is the big one in the headlines at the minute. Um, I've got family that live around there. I've friends that go there all the time. I don't know anyone that calls it Gari. Even even my Murray mates from Queensland. Now, most people that don't know, I'm originally from North Queensland. I have a lot of mates who are Murray. 
the most amazing people you'll ever meet. And one of my mates that I was talking to the other day, I said, are you calling it Gary? And he started laughing. He said, nah, fuck that. He said, Fraser Island. It's always been Fraser Island. I'm like, well, I, I, I get what they're trying to do. Do you agree with it? Nah, nah, nah. And I'm like, yet all you hear on the news is there's continual stories about Fraser Island and it's Gary, 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 just repetitive propaganda just being buried into it. Yet the pushback from people is it will never be anything other than Fraser Island to me. I'm like, well, okay. And then we jump on, I think I sent you a couple of screenshots this week where we know a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a month or so, um, Pallet Jack here in Queensland tried to uh, change the name of Brisbane itself to Mianjin, which is the traditional Indigenous name or whatever. The uproar from people in and around Brisbane was quite um, quite profound to the point that she had to do a press conference. Oh, we're never going to change that. I don't know where you've got that from. Well, it's her government documents. So all of a sudden, people rocked up to the Mackay Airport to fly to Brisbane, and they've got on the, the screen, what the fuck is this? And it's flying to me engine. <laughs> and then they also say so that was Brisbane. Then they had Townsville, which is the second largest city in Queensland. It was used there traditional Indigenous names. So the two major centres, instead of coming outwards and doing it, let's just sneak it in under the radar and then we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Friends of mine right across North Queensland have gone, what is this shit? This is no way. Whether whether something gets done about it, I don't know, but they'll just continue to, to slow that, you know, the mission creep, to yeah. continue to push that until it's everything's the same. Now, is it these? Is it the academic elites who have infiltrated all sectors of society, corporations, local governments, and like? Are they the ones that are just pushing their own ideological agendas here? Because in my own town, I live in a town that already has an indigenous name. The name is an indigenous name. It's just the way it is. I'd say most people don't even realise that. So much to the point that there's a local petition started that our council changed its name to something gonna can I at which point the council had to turn around and go, uh, it's already a Gunakurnai name. It means River of Little Fish. And these people, these ideologues, <laughs> kind of sat there and went, oh, that's really good then. Yeah, okay, I'll just take this away now. I won't do anything about it. Oh, we did a good job there, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Yeah, look, it's just virtue signalling. That's all it is. It's not going to change anything. And as Way just pointed out, the Indigenous themselves think it's a joke. So what the hell? It, it it is it's laughable. If it if it wasn't serious, it would be a joke. You know, it, it would be it would be a joke that we could all laugh at. But it's coming from and you know the the grift is always there, but it's the grifters you need to look at. And at this point, everyone's got their eyes fixated on on the grift. But most people are now starting to point out Thomas Mayo's. Um, there was a, another young lady last week. Uh, you guys will probably know. I come at same sort of thing. You know, people are starting to notice the grifters. And, you know, Drew, you and I talk about it a lot. And Stella, you no doubt would, would have come across this is when you start and find out who the grifters are pushing every grift, the grift itself loses all appeal. 
And I think that's what's happening is people are seeing that, holy, Thomas Mayo, it's not even Indigenous. Yeah. That's starting to filter through and people are going, hang on, how is he doing this? But as with um, as with the whole COVID thing as well, people, some people are just, they've made up their mind and it doesn't matter how many facts you can put in front of them, they'll still just go, la, 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 la. Yep, no, I don't want to hear. Um, so there's that. But um, that, that that's just such a level of deception, isn't it? I mean, a guy who changes his name to make himself look more sellable. Um, it's his racial really identity too. Beg your pardon? And his racial identity as well, might I add. He changed that, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it's funny that he's changed his name to Mayo because mayonnaise is white, so <laughs> and not a lot of thought went into that really. Well, he, here's a really, a really scary aspect, right? The wheels are starting to fall off the yes vote. We as Australians know that. We're seeing it in the polls. We're hearing it in conversations. People are like, this just doesn't sound right. There's something wrong with this. They talk to people in their own community. They talk to local mob and mob are like, yeah, this isn't for us. We're not going to be represented. There's going to be some choice Aboriginals on the top who are going to benefit and we're going to get fuck all. Yeah. But been paid off. we hear the likes of Noel Pearson, who's a big voice for the Yes campaign, is an Indigenous man. This gentleman turned around and told 3AW this week that if the no vote goes through, Australia will see Black Lives Matter protests that will make the George Floyd riots pale in comparison. And this is what's scary about this man. This guy is essentially the author of the Voice book, right? He has connections to the CPA, the Communist Party of Australia. This same Communist Party of Australia from the 70s up until the 1990s, were actively writing about arming Indigenous Australians and using them in guerrilla warfare across our country to bring bring about a socialist Marxist agenda. So now we're starting to get the, the threats of potential violence if their needs aren't being met, which to me just looks like a complete uh, child tantrum in retrospect to what's going on. Well, you're, you're right, and it's funny because... He's talking about Black Lives Matter type riots in Australia. You know, I guarantee you, you, you won't see them in regional Queensland or regional New South Wales. It'll be the inner city left that are the grifters, the virtue signalers in the Brisbane's, the Sydney's, the Melbourne's, you know, Adelaide's, all of that. It'd be quite funny to see those people trying to do that in regional Australia where the regional Australians, Indigenous people, a lot of them my friends, if I'm a betting man, which I am, I know who my money's on. Yeah, and the thing is that that has now been, like, announced. It's gone into the ether, into the psyche of the masses, and that is a dangerous thing because people who don't have a lot of critical thinking skills, and sadly there's a lot of people out there with that, or just don't think about looking elsewhere, um, that's just going to, they're sponges for that sort of thing. So that's gone into their mind. Um, it sort of changes a perception, whether they're aware of it or not. It's a subconscious thing. And uh, so that's sort of throwing fuel onto the fire, isn't it? And just recently Alice Springs was, was um, had a lot of problems. I don't know. Do you know anyone in Alice Springs, Wade, or do you know much about that situation? 
Uh, no, I don't, mate. Um, Alice Springs is quite a void of knowledge of me from people. Right. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Um, I mean, it's hard unless you've boots on ground. It's hard to know exactly what's going on there. And I did wonder whether that was sort of um, artificial. I don't know. I don't want to say, but I was just wondering that. That's all. Are you, are you Stella, are you talking about the, the living, uh, the state of living uh, of Indigenous people in Alice Springs? Yeah, there was a lot of violence and, um, you know, just people wandering around, on the, kids especially wandering around the street and just creating hassles and yeah. and all sorts of things like that. That's, I mean, I only saw the vision that was presented. That's actually re- regular. That's that's not artificial. Um, years ago, I had uh, one of my tradesmen when I was an apprentice was from Alice Springs and he said, oh, it's every week. And I've just, I just had one of my work colleagues go to Alice Springs for two weeks for some motocross driving, uh, you know, event or something like that. And he's, he just said, Oh yeah. He said, I definitely won't be taking the kids back. I'm like, is it that bad? He said, yeah. He said, it's, it's everywhere. They have police outside bottle shops. Um, you know, and they've got limits on things. And he said, it's just. Once it's dark, the police tell you get into wherever you're staying and don't come out. Yeah, right. That's um, actually sad. Like that is really, really sad more than anything. And that's it the is. type of thing that people actually want to help these communities out with. This is yeah. the stuff that people really see and think that the voice can change. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I was wondering, like I sort of knew that it wasn't fully artificial because there's always problems going on, um, but the fact that the spotlight is on it. I mean, we're seeing it because it fits the agenda now. So that's sort of like it, it is a fear inducing thing to see that. Um, and you know, it upsets people, the emotions. So there we are again with the propaganda. And um, this part of the conversation, Stella, where you're actively asking, um, someone in another part of the country, it shows the scope and the breadth of how large Australia is. Essentially. Mm. It's like, if I ask as a Victorian, uh, someone about Alice Springs. It's like someone from uh, Greece or Athens asking what it's like in Ireland. Exactly. Yeah. The distances are so vast. The the community living uh, issues are so big, so different. The cultural aspects change so dramatically. You are in a, literally another country, essentially. The continent is that large. So it brings into scope how big the, these issues are that can't possibly be solved by a body of 10 or 12 people that are trying to represent all these issues and all these people. Exactly. And that's, that's half the problem is, okay, if the, if the voice comes in, okay, are you going to have 900 representatives from the 900 first nations tribes every week at a conference? <laughs> and at that point you've got, um, you know, I can only speak for Queensland. Like you said, I could drive from southeast Queensland to the tip of Cape York. That's a two and a half day drive. Like that's that's twice across Europe. So are they going to have someone from up Cape York weep away at this thing? Because their needs are different to a tribe um, in Melbourne or a tribe in Adelaide. Some ball. Is this not something that people are going, we need to vote? Yes. Okay, sweet. Well, are you going to help those people up in Cape York? Are you going to help the people there? Or is it just you guys here? Like, 
help me, help me, help me explain. Well, this, help me just, this just brought to mind way that my wife, as you know, is a teacher. She actually did um, a portion of her training in um, regional Aboriginal communities. So she, she taught those communities. She knows what it's like that you had to be like the, the Pied Piper. You'd have to go and wrangle up the kids each morning and say, do you want to come to school? Come on, let's go to school today. We're teaching them English in these remote communities. I think that's a hubris of Western-style democracy in Australia. We feel we have to give them these things. Why can't these people who have lived for 60,000 years in their traditional ways, why can't we leave them to their own devices as they see fit? Sure, we can put things in place to make sure their health and everything is is above board and they're not being abused through gambling and alcohol consumption and things like that. But we're not even giving them the option of wanting to live in their traditional ways. They're, they're being pushed into the Western lifestyle, which do we have a right to push that on them? The last Indigenous community that ever saw a white man happened in the 1900s. Like it was 1930 that the first or the very last Indigenous person to see a white man occurred. A group came out of the desert, saw a white man, and that was the last point of contact. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's almost this whole century. <laughs> How long are we going to be held accountable for, for what's happened? You know, I mean, we've well, moved on a few generations, haven't we? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point, Stella, because um, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys watched Spotlight on Sunday night. Um, I... I a lot of people go, oh, you watch the news, well, <laughs> know thy enemy. You yeah, know exactly. You, so you know what what you're dealing with. So Sunday night they had a um, – Charles Woolley did a, a segment on the Kimberley's region. Mate, it was an amazing segment. It really was. My wife's been there a couple of times, had uh, – her sister used to live there. It was an amazing place. And they all these different things, and they had this uh, Indigenous guy runs this fishing tour. Mate, really sounded like a really nice guy, very knowledgeable, and then it, it was gearing towards the voice, the voice. And I'm like, I said to my wife, I said, this is, they're angling this for the, the S vote here. I said, you can see it. It was so obvious it wasn't funny. And then he's, Charles Woolley set up his comp, his speech around asking to get this guy to say, yes, we need a voice. And when he's asked him, he set it up as, you know, do you – resent the white man and, and this guy said yeah yeah i do because his grandmother was killed years ago you know 100 odd years ago something like that I, I can understand that i can sympathize with that when he said yeah i do he said but i also don't because of some of my good friends they brought a lot he said well you know do you think we need the voice without thinking he said no no we don't he said i don't think it's a good idea we need to talk more and charles woolley had to come up with something said, well, I kind of agree, and it's like, oh, bullshit, mate. <laughs> and it, it, was a, it was a really great conversation piece that tried to pull the heartstrings. And then when you actually spoke to a guy on the land making his own money, he's got family, he's got kids, he said, no, I don't. We need to have more conversations and listen. It's like, oh, this guy. Why have we not got this guy in Canberra? Yeah. So um, people I want to hear from. Sorry, Stella. No, you're right, man. Um, so – because I don't watch telly at all. Um, is Spotlight, is that a live thing? No, it's a, it's a pre-recorded uh, thing on Channel 9, uh, Channel 7. It's kind of the equivalent, more of a, a fluffy version of... 60 uh, Minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. 
I was just surprised that they left that in then, really. <laughs> I mean, oh, normally they'd I edit stuff too. like that out. Yep, and it was it was almost as if, oh, shit, well, we can't really leave that out because they, they got in there, his, he noted his resentment towards the white man, so we can't then cut out the next part because it all led to that. And I would listen to that guy. If he sat down and said, I want to talk, let's talk, mate. I would listen to that guy because he's honest in his assessment where, yes, he has resentment, but no, he doesn't. He has a reason for his his resentment. He understands that we are not responsible for that now, but he also believes that people should have more conversations. Yep, it, was, like it was fantastic. It really, it really was. Yeah, right. Just like Jacinta Price was saying, we need mm-hmm. more ears, not a voice. Yeah. Now, Stalin, you brought up an, a, a fantastic point that how long do we have to suffer the burden of the sins of our fathers, essentially. But the issue is Australia was settled by the British in 1788. Up until now, that's been 235 years. Australia only becoming its own independent nation in 1901, that's 122 years. The biggest portion of our history, the British had active control of this country. We had no choices in what happened to our First Nations people. We had no say in it. So why should we be having to potentially, if this voice goes through, this is pure speculation, of course, why should we have to pay reparations for people that our government, for the most part, and our own people, our community members, had no say in? If you want to get reparations, get it from the fucking crown. They're the ones that did it all. Exactly. And, you know, I can't, I don't know anybody who, like, just imagine that we could go back in time and, you know, be around the Captain Cook. I I even question that history, but let's put that aside for a moment. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I know that if I was there and that stuff was going on, it would be like, hang on, stop it. You can't do that to these people. That's what my reaction would be. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Like, we didn't want that to happen. We didn't want these people, beautiful, beautiful natives to be uh, murdered and, you know, diseased and moved from their places. I mean, even where I am, my my, um, little town, there was something like 10 or 12 tribes were moved just so that this town could be put near a river for the economy. Um, And then it gets very flooded. (laughs) (laughs) White man was warned, didn't listen. So let's um, remember that white man was warned, didn't listen. So I think that's applicable here too. Yeah, I think there's. I don't think anyone out there would argue that there's there's not important things we can learn from our First Nations peoples. 100%. I absolutely love the connections I've got with local mob and the people I work with. The information they provide to me has broadened my understanding not of only their culture, but my place in my local area and what I can and can't do within the local environment and the the plants and the the foraging type of things that I do now. But it's just weaponizing a hatred between races that's going to be the worst possible outcome for Australia, the worst possible outcome. Yeah, and um, I have to be a little bit careful where we go here, but if you know anything about the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, in in a a different culture... (laughs) Um, that is actually the creator of discrimination. <laughs> They're the mm-hmm. ones that instigate it 
and it's the same here. They are instigating racial hatred and division because that's what they want. They want us fighting with each other um, so that they can come in with, you know, problem, reaction, solution. It's always the same, isn't it? It's always the same way that they work and they use propaganda as their tools. And if we're all fighting, then they can come in and go, well, here's the solution. We're going to fix all this. Um, so they're, they're just fanning the flames. They're throwing fuel in the fire and looking like they're trying to fix the problem that they've created. And this voice just happens to coincide with the massive green agenda that's happening and Agenda 21, which I mentioned Ooh. earlier, where essentially it's getting all the people off the land and moving them into these smart cities or these 20-minute neighbourhoods, whatever you want to call them. And they can do this through the voice. They can empower it that... The land you're currently on belongs to the Womaninji or the Gunakurnai or insert any Indigenous tribe or group or clan. If you're forced off your land, where are you going to go besides the city? You throw into that the greening agenda and re-greening rural Australia. It's just a mechanism to force people into these urban death mazes that are our modern cities so that the elites of the world have this huge vast untapped nature it's like almost they're a nature cult and this is just one of the many mechanisms they're using along the lines of the green new deal and everything else to make it happen in australia absolutely 100 percent. and i'm not sure if you know or maybe maybe you know wade um back in i think it was maybe may uh maybe last year yeah it was last year uh the archbishop justin weldy uh welby sorry from england came to Australia and did a 14-day tour and he went right up to northern Queensland, which I thought was kind of weird for an archbishop, but he ordained three women up there, so fair enough. Um, but um, And he went to Thursday Island and, like, he was, he was full-on climate agenda, full-on. So even though he was asked about the voice, he sort of was going, oh, no, that's, that's uh, an issue for the Australian people. I wouldn't interfere in that. However... He'd been um, cruising around different churches and, you know, speaking. And just the things that he was saying were kind of <laughs> just basically making people feel bad about what's gone on with the Indigenous people, etc. Um, he said a lot of things like, I wish this, I wish that, which I thought was kind of strange because wishing is very unscriptural <laughs> either way. Um but, yeah, he was basically everything he was saying was just making people feel bad. Um, but so it was just this very subtle kind of psychology, I suppose, and then he kind of distanced himself from it. But, yeah, he was very, very much about the climate agenda. So um, he was definitely fanning those flames. So I think that's you – know, and he was visiting Indigenous um, places as well. So I think that does tie in, yes, like you say. Mm. Yeah. Uh, to, to be honest, I don't I don't pay much attention to to those sort of people, Stella. Uh, it doesn't. Neither do I. I just thought it was it weird. It, it doesn't it doesn't help me because I don't pay attention to so if, if they're coming and they have an agenda. Yeah, fuck off, mate. <laughs> yeah, Thursday <laughs> Island. Yeah. Thursday Island, Cairns, and Yarrabah was where he went. Well, Yarrabah is funny because I have a friend lives at Yarrabah, and mm -hmm. being in Mackay, Mackay's a big rugby league town. Um, North Queensland is rugby league everything. And Yarrabah's a, a mission outside of Townsville. Um, used to, a lot of uh, Indigenous players are 
fabulously talented athletes, as we all know. So with this one guy at this carnival, we played rep football against him. We got him down to our club. Good guy, but has been really turned into, you know, mission living and, you know, it's drink all the time. And it's very sad because that's how he was taught and got him off away from it and struggled, struggled to live life um, away from it. So he, if, if, this guy's gone to Yarrabah, I can tell you those people would have been like, ah, damn it. They, they, they would not have listened to him one bit. So it was uh, a pompous virtue signal just to go there because of they would not have listened to him. About the climate, do you mean, or about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah, about the climate. Oh, I, okay. I, they would not have listened to him at all. Interesting, because, yeah, um, yeah he, he went to Thursday Island particularly to experience the, the terrible things that, you know, the way they're suffering because of climate change, et cetera. So. I think that this falls. Hang on. Sorry, sorry, Drew. Go for Thursday, it. Thursday Island is one of the most amazing places to live. It is beautiful water. There is clean water, clean living. The people over there all have flashed new cars because of the dollar value that they can get for services and whatnot. I have friends who live there. I have friends who work there. It is an amazing place to live. So to, to clarify for, you know, listeners all over the world who are listening, Thursday Island is an amazing, beautiful place. Oh, we better fix that then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, Stella, that kind of plays into the idea where we know that these these power elites, these people, they use the victim class or who they deem to be the victim class in any given decade or generation as their as their pet. We saw it in the civil rights movement in, in America with African-Americans. We're seeing it today in Australia with their Indigenous communities that they're portraying Aboriginal Australians as this romanticised, homed in with nature, don't harm anything, they... They're like airy fairy, the Navi from Avatar type of people, right? They romanticize the heck out of these people when the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's not exactly they were lived perfectly on the land. We know hunting practices in general decimate populations of animals. There wasn't really a sustainable hunting practice because we no longer have megafauna. Now, you could argue that there was climate change issues that caused megafauna to die off, but it just so happens to coincide with when Indigenous Australians arrived here. And that brings into a point. They're not the first people. They may not be the first people here. They're just the first to arrive here. They weren't here traditionally. They arrived like the rest of us did. And this brings me to my last point mm. before we uh, close out on our final thoughts. According to most Indigenous uh, beliefs and spirituality, if you are born on country, you are now a part of the people. You are a part of their dreaming story. So anyone who arrived in Australia after 1788, we're a part of their shared history. We're a part of their dreaming story now. We are all the same mob. We are all the same people. But we're not hearing that message. We're not seeing that in the media. We're not seeing that unity side of things come through at all. And that just goes to show the true intention of this voice. It's to divide. It's to conquer. It's to separate us. It's to remove the idea that we're all Australians and we're all one people. Well, I have heard that from... Um, a lady up here, Mabingari, who is um, a local Indigenous lady. Her Western name is Cindy Roberts. 
and she's leading the charge against, against the yes vote. So, yeah, to vote no, to try to wake people up to, yeah, just learning more about what decisions they're going to make. Um, and that includes Indigenous people, of course. Um, but that's something I heard from her and it actually it, it made me cry because she she's very much about not division, no division, you know, like there has – I've heard – People, you know, come up to her and say, oh, something white guy and whatever. And she no, there's no white. There's no white and black. We're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters. She really pushes that. And I just think I love that because that is that is what we are. We're all brothers and sisters. We can't be held accountable for what's happened in history when we're here now. It happened. We've, we've done a reasonable amount to try to help them out now. Um, and it shouldn't be them and us. I mean, this, everybody needs the basics, don't they? So um, we should be looking after everybody. Um, not letting this division happen. It's very hard, isn't it? Because in trying to educate people, we're sort of almost participating in the division, but how else do you do it? You know, it's it's very difficult to get people to um, to listen. But, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, a, a really great point, Stella, because there's, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of people who want to thrive on the hatred that they can to drum up. Now, you know, uh, over time, by nature, I'm a I'm a, a combative person, um, but I talk to me. Let's have a conversation. So, well, how can how can we, the Australian government people, even though fuck the government, how can we help you guys? You tell me what. What you need, what needs to be done to help you, and I'll see how we can make it work. Let's let's have a chat about it. Let's have it. And the first people that you will talk to that about will instantly go straight to aggression. Well, you shouldn't have done it. Well, hang on. Well, let, let's fix it. Let's fix it. People have been driven to a point about this subject in particular where they don't want to have a conversation. Because the outcome that comes from that conversation might not be what they thought they were for. And I'll find that from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just really, it was really lovely when Mevin Gutty said, you know, stop feeling guilty. Stop feeling guilty, everyone. Let's move forward. And that was just so freeing because I have. I didn't even realise how guilty I was feeling. I, it's horrendous what's happened. No, nobody thinks it's a good thing, but yeah, that was, that was really lovely. So um, just in, in closing for me, I just um, wanted to read out a couple of things from this, this um, pamphlet. Absolutely. So go at, ahead. Yeah. If you don't mind at the very end of the yes side, I see guilt, guilt politics and, and that emotive thing where it states we can vote yes to be part of a great unifying moment that will bring about a better future. Uh, do the right thing by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Give people a say on issues that affect them. Make a practical difference that improves lives. Um, so in a spirit of unity, let's vote yes together. Okay, so that's the yes bit. And the no bit is this is a very important decision. Unfortunately, the legitimate questions and concerns of many Australians have been dismissed. Fortunately, this referendum won't be decided by politicians, corporations or celebrities. It will be decided by every Australian. It affects every Australian. If you don't know, vote no. 
And I think that's good advice. Because we can always do it something again later. We can always, like you say, Wade, we can always possibly sit around and work this out another way. But that, this thing can't be undone if it goes through. And we know, we know that this is not really what it's about. It's a different agenda. It's about property rights and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, the w- fact that they, they, don't, they don't want to legislate it as just a body which could possibly be removed by successive government, but they don't have to really kind of sings true to what the real intentions about this are. Um, My message would be, and I'll let Wade finish up on this one. My message would be that if you're an inner city Melbourne hipster and a soy latte drinking person who goes, gets avocado smash every weekend. If you think this is going to absolve you of some kind of white guilt, and that's the real reason you're making this decision, you're not actually taking into consideration the voice of indigenous Australians. You're doing it for your own selfish means to feel better about yourself. It's the ultimate virtue signal. If Australia is going to move forward and and really be a united country, like I think it has been, we can't let this happen. You actively have to look into the no side of the vote. Don't dismiss it just because it doesn't fit your ideological view. Have a look at their arguments and see how it fits with you logically. I know it's hard to put away politics and you group think aside, think about it logically and see if it's actually a good fit for Indigenous Australians. And I dare say, you'll find that it's not. Yeah, well put, mate. And look, my my finishing point is a lot of those people who are pushing and virtue signaling for the yes vote, go for a drive. Go for a drive to Central Australia. It doesn't have to be Alice Springs, but go to regional Queensland, go to regional New South Wales, go to some of the the, the Corries in New South Wales, the the Murrays in Queensland, and just ask them, have a beer. So, hey, listen, what's going on in here? Are you guys seeing the benefits of all this shit coming? What, what do you think? Because if you don't have that conversation, you don't actually know what you're getting into and what you're getting these people into. You... You're responsible, if you're going to vote yes, you are responsible for what happens to these people that don't want this or don't know enough about it. And go, okay, have a think about that very seriously because a a vote for a prime minister is three years of, we're going to deal with this dick and the consequences that come from that. Something this major if it comes in 10 years' time and it's been refined and we know I would be happy to change my mind if it if you can show me that it's going to benefit, but talk to people. I say this all the time. Go and talk to the people that this is supposed to be for and find out if it's actually going to help them because I can tell you it won't and it's going to hurt everyone in the, the space of trying to fix one group it'll hurt everyone except a select few and um, I just wanted to say one more tiny thing if you want to have a little bit of a look at a small example of what couldn't be happening with this have a look at Western Australia's Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act and have a listen to the president of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association Tony Seabrook um, because they are feeling they are feeling the weight of the possibilities of what can happen to normal everyday Australians and even our backbone, the farmers, um, they are paying very dearly for this. And this, it has created the biggest, um, what's the word, you know, opposition in history, uh, 
you know, what do you call it? When you get lots of signatures, petition. Um, yep. Yeah, create the biggest petition in Australian history on this because um, people are starting to realise what what can happen. It's attack on it's an attack on private property, basically. Okay, I've, I've got to clarify this one for our international listeners because it's too good of a point not to go over Stella. Sorry, thanks for making the show go longer. That's great. Um, Sorry. Oh, <laughs> good. So this act that was put in place, it essentially says that anyone, a property owner or a developer, anyone that has a certain amount of land size can't dig any more than 30 centimetres under the ground. 1,100 you, square metres. Yeah, and you know that as someone who's maybe putting a trench line in or a water line or your fence post, fence post are digging a tree, apparently. Yeah, planting a tree. Planting a tree, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, even ploughing a field, that's going further than 30 centimetres. If you want to do... It's, sorry, it's 50 centimetres. 50 centimetres, even worse, sorry, 50. Um, because, yeah, that's the space that you need to get to. If you're going 50 centimetres down, you need an Indigenous representative that comes off and signs off to say that it's okay to do and to check that there's no, um, no relics or anything from the traditional people that are being unearthed. It happens in Victoria, but it goes by a different name. And it's any time a, a cut's been done on, say, a new building development or something like that, a representative comes in and checks off to make sure it's all above board. But this is going large scale to primary producers, people with large sets of properties, um, really anyone that's not living in a little suburban shoebox, it's affecting everyone over in Western Australia. So much so that a local council tried to replant local trees and um, all types of native plants after a bushfire had gone through. So it's re-germinating and rebuilding the, the biosphere in that area. They were stopped and they couldn't do it because the local elders refused to let them do it. A week later, it came out that they actually tried to hold them accountable and say, we'll let you plant the trees if you give us $2.5 million. Yeah. Yep. And those consultants that have to come out um, to approve, like not just a fence, but every fence post <laughs> is $160 an hour and it must be an Indigenous person. Um, and the fines, if you don't um, abide by this for an individual, can be 25000 to $1 million. And for a corporation, 250000 up to $10 million. And you just know the virtue signals, the people that dobbed in their neighbours for, for COVID um, breaches of lockdowns, they'd be the people that would ring up the local authorities and say, this person was planting a tree or this bloke yep. was plowing his field. You better find him because he's a hateful bigot. Yeah, and the poor farmers, I mean, they're just trying to feed the nation. WA farmers, um, I think they supply about something like, I don't know, around about 25 26% or something of the, of the food for Australia. Um, and, you know, they've got all this green rubbish that they've got to try to, you know, they're being heavied about. Like, I mean... <laughs> They're going to be at some point, I suppose, expected to get rid of all their existing equipment and replace it with, you know, electric vehicles or whatever it is, which is just awful, but that's another show. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they're just, you know, they're just determined to break break the backbone of Australia, which was already shattered in pieces from, you know, the 70s anyway and before. Yeah, you hit the so, nail on the head. Uh, if you break the, the food bowl, the, the primary producers and farmers – we don't eat, and Uncle Klaus will tell you to eat the bugs, and that's what it's all about, people. And Stella, the lab meat. Yeah, that's it, the cancerous cells from lab meat. Stella, where can we find your fantastic work for the listeners who don't know your work? 
Um, well, my work, <laughs> my opinions. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Union of the Unknowns is a podcast that I contribute to, and we also have a little sub-podcast called Not Your Mama's News, which just goes over the weekly news. Most of the dudes are American. Um, I bring the Australian sort of viewpoint to that, so feel free to uh, have a listen to that. Be great. Thanks for having me, Drew, and no lovely problem. to meet you, Wade. You too, Stella. No, this is a great conversation. Now, Wade, I do believe you've been on a certain podcast uh, two times already. What podcast was that, my friend? Uh, it's, mm, you're missing the point. Some Hank Scorpio lookalike dude, <laughs> really great conversations with people. Uh, he's on Instagram at you're missing the point or missing the point, missing in action. Um, I don't know where else you are. Come on, mate. Well, I think I did go. a pretty good job, didn't I? You did a good job plugging my stuff, mate. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, guys. This was a great conversation. Um, I'm glad that we could actually have more than my voice on this one, ironically, about the voice. So take into consideration what we've spoken about. Go and speak to other people. Um, if you're someone who actually is a yes proponent and would like to have a conversation on the show, I'm more than happy for you to reach out to me and we can have that conversation. Like Wade said, the only way we find common ground and understanding is if we speak to each other. Yeah. So have a great night. Catch you next time. Oh, yeah.